<laughs> what has happened to you? <laughs> I just don't care anymore. I Google things for research. Yeah. <laughs> Um, cops don't cut that at the end. <laughs> and that was the day Mel lost her accreditation. Okay. Hey, and welcome to Bad Decisions. The show that helps us understand why we choose what we choose. Why we think what we think. And how to exploit this stuff for fun and commercial gain. I'm Dr. Mel Weinberg. I'm a performance psychologist. You know you always used to say ethically, of course, at the end, which you've stopped saying. <laughs> I'm I'm corrupted you. What does that say? Anyway, I'm Dan Monheit, co-founder of Hard Hat, a creative agency built for today. Funny story on the weekend. Tell me all about you it. You love hearing my parenting stories. Always. All right, so my daughter... It's two and a half now. Very cute. Daddy's girl. Love her. It's great. Yep. Love my son too. Anyway, <laughs> she's got a lot of toys, as kids today do. Like a whole room full of toys. It used to be a study, now it's a toy room. Mm-hmm. And she's got a cousin, so my nephew, who, who's a boy, and he's like maybe three months younger than her. Hoping he's a boy if he's your nephew. Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. So he, um, he, he was over on the weekend, and the, these two like adore each other. They love each other. They've literally grown up all over each other. And they love each other, but they fight like crazy mm. and what usually happens is my nephew comes over and he walks into the toy room and there's like a hundred toys in there and he just picks a thing so this week it was like this stroller thing i don't know some random stroller that he mm-hmm. wanted to play with and my daughter who really has not touched this toy stroller for weeks maybe even months decides for a moment that this toy stroller is now the single key to her happiness it is the sole reason for her being on this planet and she needs this toy stroller in her hands and in her life right now yeah so as you can imagine they start trying to grab it off each other they're screaming there's crying there's very rational me trying to explain to my daughter that there are so many other toys in here many of which are also strollers some of which are substitutes for strollers some of which are nothing to do with strollers at all but can also be a source of happiness she didn't want a bar of it. She just wanted the damn stroller. That her two-and-a-half-year-old brain was focused on getting that stroller and that stroller only. Yeah, and it didn't matter how much I wanted to tell her about all the other great toys in the room, couldn't give a shit, wants the one thing that her cousin has picked up and he wants to play with as well. We're also going to need to work on your parenting strategies because trying to rationalise with a two-and-a-half-year-old is probably not going to get you no, very it's, far. No, <laughs> it's going to be fine. At some point, she's going to be old enough to understand, by which point I will be so well-practiced at rationalising with her, I will kick her ass. <laughs> just watch out. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so, like, how did this whole situation resolve? What did you do as dad to get through this? Well, I decided that the stroller was the only thing that would add happiness to my life. So I confiscated <laughs> it and took it for myself and left the two of them to play with something else. And it worked? Yeah, well, just define work. No, don't define work. It worked. But, you know, kids, like, come on, guys. Kids, right? Kids' brains, yeah, right? Like, how like, how like silly guys. that they can only focus on one thing one at a time thing. and that becomes the object that completely dominates their attention that they just refuse to look at anything else. Idiots. Yeah. See, the funny thing is <laughs> adult brains sort of work the same Come way. On. Sorry to tell you, but that's one of the things that we just don't outgrow, right? In adults, we refer to it as the focusing illusion. Oh, it sounds far more grown up as the focusing, <laughs> the focusing illusion, illusion than like having, having a, a temper. Tanty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So the focusing illusion is basically the idea that we have a limited attention span, right? Or we have a limited tank of attention. So only one thing can really dominate our attention at any particular point in time. And we convince ourselves that that is the most important thing, right, at the time because we're thinking about it. So obviously it has to be important or we have to at least tell ourselves it's super important but at the time that we're thinking about it it is actually the most important thing we actually don't have the capacity to think about too many things at one time so multitasking is a terrible idea we have one thing that we can really focus on and we think that it's way more important than it is this sounds like something that's going to get us into trouble well like every (laughs) illusion that we talk about it does and the fact that it's called illusion and illusion makes it sound even more mystical yeah mystical so um let me tell you a little bit about some research. No, so you, do not, have, you yeah. do not have research about this. Oh, I do. Merlin's beard. You must be Harry Potter. You know what? Because I love research so much, I'm actually going to give you two research articles about this. Whoa. Um, and they sort of lend into one another. So the first we're going to talk about is one of the most well-known uh, research articles in the field of understanding happiness, which is pretty much what dominates most of my <laughs> research career. Um, it's a study by Brickman, Coates and Yanoff Bullman ah, back in 1978. The Brickman, Coates and Yanoff Often Gordon. known as the Brickman et al. Yeah, yeah. study, right? So the Brickman et al. study um, was looking at the happiness of lottery winners and comparing them to the happiness of paraplegics. Right. Okay, so you've got people who uh, either have the best thing that you can imagine happening to them as in winning the lottery or mm. one of the worst things that people could imagine, which would be to become a paraplegic. And what they did was they assessed the happiness of these groups of people. Um, and uh, this has to be a binary grouping. There are no paraplegics that were Well, there was lotteries. a control group, but uh, <laughs> that would be an interesting, yeah. <laughs> interesting group. You guys then. are neutral. We've worked it out. <laughs> We've balanced you out. But what they found was that after a not particularly extensive period of time, the happiness of both lottery winners and paraplegics returned back to their pre-event state. So even though you would think that, and I guess this is what made the study so remarkable, is that ordinary people looking at this would go, wait, surely lottery winners are going to be way happier than paraplegics, right? The best thing that can happen to you, one of the worst things that could happen to you, you would think that over time that would stay the same. But um, actually the research found um, sort of counterintuitively that both of their happiness states returned to what we call their normal or their baseline levels um, not that long after the actual event. So basically what's the point in doing anything? Well, this changed the way that we think about happiness, right? Because it speaks to the fact that we adapt to things. Mm. We don't think that we adapt to things. So when we think about events happening, we think about winning the lottery. Wow, that would be amazing. We fail to actually recognise that we adapt to situations very quickly. We are way more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. Yeah. And resilience is about adapting to both happy and sad events, right? So it works both ways. But we don't actually imagine how resilient we're going to be in response to situations. Yeah. We focus instead on the actual event. Yeah. And I guess like a straightaway, like shoot from the hip example that springs to mind as soon as you talk about this, you know, as a guy who runs an agency is pay rises, Mm -hmm. that you give out a pay rise to somebody. And the first time you do this, you think this is going to be amazing. This is really going to give the person the bump that they need and they're going to come into work so excited and motivated. And what you learn very quickly is that people just return to their normal baseline of where they were in almost no time and I actually went had a look at some research from this because you know pay rise are a thing you can't really get away from as an employer and like best case scenario maybe you can get a bump for six weeks mm. out of a pay rise so you go and cut somebody a check for five grand ten grand fifteen grand whatever best case scenario you're going to get six weeks out of it and then we're we're 
And they're going to want more. Yeah, yeah. And they just go back to that. This is what it's always been. So no pay rises for your so employees? No pay, well, lots of very, very small pay rises. <laughs> well, that's a better way to hack it. But yeah. yeah, I'm glad I don't work for you. Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> the um, next study, which came out about 20 years later, so taking us to 1998, was by Skate and Kahneman. Kahneman, do you know that name? That guy. Yeah, Dreaming. Kahneman again. Gee. So um, this study was basically looking at what was called the focusing illusion. They looked at the Brickman and our study and said, well, we know what's going on here and we're going to test why um, why it's happening. And so they had um, one of those great titled articles. You know, that's the key to getting a good research paper. You've got to give it a good title. Clickbait. So the title was, Does Living in California Make People Happy? Ooh. Right? And what they were doing was was prompting people to think about what it would be like if somebody just like them with their values, their interests at their stage in life, were to move to California, what their happiness would be like. Mm -hmm. And also if somebody just like them with their values and interests and at their stage in life were to move to the Midwest, Mm -hmm. how happy would they be? I mean, why would you set up those two? Nothing wrong with the Midwest. You set them up like they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. A lot of good things happen in the Midwest. I'm sure they do. The thing is that when most people think about California, they think about the weather and how beautiful it is, especially when you've been prompted that you're involved in a study that's looking at the impact of climate on happiness. Oh, that was a thing. Yeah, so that makes a bit of a difference as well. And then what they did was they compared the results to the happiness ratings of people who actually live in California and who actually live in the Midwest. And what you find is that when people self-rate their own happiness, the, ha- the overall happiness of people who lived, lived in California and lived in the Midwest were the same. There was no difference. The reason is that people don't typically think of the climate when they're thinking about how happy they are. Or it's like one of many things. But when you put that as the, as the contrast, as the point of contrast between two groups and you ask others to report how people will feel in those situations, they over-exaggerate the importance of climate in their estimations. So they, so they think, oh, well, living in, a person living in California would be way happier than a person living in the Midwest. Right. So let me get this straight. So they asked a bunch of people in California and a bunch of people living in the Midwest how happy they were. Yep. Then they asked a bunch of people who lived in neither yep. how happy they think they would be if they lived in California or, or the someone Midwest. someone like them. Yeah, yeah. someone like them. Yeah. yeah. And so what people thought was if they moved to California, they would be way happier than if they moved to the Midwest yep. because the weather is so much better in California. Yeah. It's an easy, that's an easy jump to mm. make, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But I guess what you're saying is it's completely incorrect. It's due to the fact that they're focusing on a particular aspect, i.e. the climate, which actually isn't as important as they think it is. Right. And why is that? Because when people are estimating their overall happiness, they think of a number of different things and climate is not something that takes priority. It's like how people also think that money will make them happy. Yeah. Yeah? There are a whole bunch of things that go into contributing to your happiness and how you rate your happiness and overall money is not at the top of the list. So I guess what what we're suggesting here is that we sort of do this gross simplification. We're sort of trying to forward project what will make us happy. We look at one thing and think, yeah, that's the lever. So if I just had more money or if I just had a six-pack or if I just had that particular car, I would be so much happier than I am now. And maybe what we fail to understand is that in the future, it's a very multifaceted world and lots of variables that contribute to our happiness. And those things are probably nowhere near as important as we think they are. Yeah, I mean, it goes a long way to explaining why people make bad spending decisions, right? Like, I just, I need to have those pair of shoes. If I had those pair of shoes in my life, then everything would be better, right? I would be happier. I'd be walking around in those shoes. God, it would feel so good to be in those shoes. Yeah, but three hours after you bought the shoes, the effect fades. Yeah. It wears off and all of a sudden you're not as happy as, or they, they don't have the power to make you as happy as they did from the start. Right. Small, potentially side note, but I just remember hearing this idea that 
when you really like lust after something for a long time and then you go and buy it and in that like tiny little window where it's just come into your possession, the mm-hmm. joy that you feel is not actually the joy of owning that thing. It is the joy of not lusting for something. It's relief. Just, just like, <laughs> you don't need to lust after it anymore. Well, it's just like the joy is, uh, mm-hmm. of actually not wanting for anything and yeah. then after half an hour or an hour or two hours, then the sort of fire gets soaked again and you start lusting for things. Yeah. And it's you know, kind of a weird so it's, idea. It's an, it, takes us to an interesting discussion around attention yeah. right, and about our capacity to attend to things. And yeah. we've mentioned multitasking, but this idea that we have a certain amount of brain fuel, mm. right? And there's only limited amount that we can spend in any moment. So we actually can't focus on multiple things yeah. at any one time. We need to, we're using our brain most effectively if we're just focusing on one particular thing at any given time. Yeah. And this is the reason why magic happens. Right. Right? <laughs> Whoa. I was right with you. I was right with you. And, and then we went to magic because yeah. in my next career, I'm going to be a magician. I'm going to take everything I know about how people's attention works and I'm going to become the next David Copperfield. But you already are a, mag- you're a magician of the mind. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah. But I can entertain people with it. At okay. the moment, I don't use it for entertainment purposes. Yeah. What do you call this show? <laughs> you Ed, got me. <laughs> edu- edutainment, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Infotainment. Yeah. <laughs> but the whole the whole thing with magic. I mean, look, I'm not going to go into a discussion about whether or not you believe in magic, and I like to believe in some magical things. But a lot of magicians work yeah. by manipulating your attention. Yeah. So you're sorry. When we talk about magic, you're not talking about like fairies and tooth fairies and pixies. And not that. in this context. You're, to- you're talking about. But like I do believe Vegas. in fairies. No. We'll do- that's we're not doing that now, <laughs> right? But you're talking about like Vegas. Magic I'm shows, talking about card tricks, yeah, card tricks. That yeah, sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I guess things that rely on that idea of misdirection, where a magician is doing something with their left hand that is very interesting and distracting, so you don't notice what they're doing with their right hand, or they have like beautiful girls doing stuff with hula hoops, so that you're kind of watching that, and you've just neglected to see the guy put something in his pocket or pull something. Yeah, out of his pocket. see, that's the trick. Whenever they bring beautiful girls out, and if you're like me, you don't get distracted by the beautiful girls. You're yeah. like, oh, what's the magician doing right now? Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to watch exactly what he's doing at every moment in time. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, and maybe it's actually the beautiful girls who are doing the trick. Oh, wow. Yeah, see? (laughs) Double misdirection. So I guess this focusing illusion or focusing bias makes a lot of sense, right? If we just talk about being humans trying to cope in this world. Because if you said to me, hey, think about what would make you happy in five years from now or ten years from now. And I really thought about that as as a legitimate question. That's like really hard. It's like multifaceted. There's so many things that I have to weigh up. Yeah. It makes sense that my brain would just want to pick some cheats, like some substitutions and go, well, eh, more money would be good, so I'll just pick that. Yeah, like too hard basket. Just give me something simple. Yeah, just throw me a frigging bone here. Yeah. So I imagine that with your marketing hat on, right, yeah. like it's this the, could come the, into it's play. It's the only hat that I own, let's be honest. <laughs> well, given, given that's a big hat, then yeah. you got something in there. Um, I'm sure this would apply to uh, finding your point of difference in a field or something like that with yeah. a new product. So this, like, I I love this bias because this is what great brand positioning and great advertising is all about. Okay. So it's saying somebody's going to have to make a decision, and most decisions are actually, if you think about them, quite complex. So mm-hmm. you just think about something as completely run of the mill as going to the supermarket to go buy cottage cheese. Okay. What is your decision making criteria for buying cottage cheese? Right. If the brands don't give you one, mm-hmm. 
mm. right? You just got a whole bunch of cottage cheeses lined up. Yeah. It's hard. Like, are you looking at price? Are you looking at packaging size? Are you trying to guess what they taste like Which based one on the packaging? Looks the yeah, yeah. <laughs> or are you looking at salt content or fat or sh- yeah. like who knows? As brands and as advertisers, what we get to do is we get to give people a thing to focus on and say, don't worry about all of that. This one has protein in it. Right. Or this one has no sugar or this one has low salt, you know? And, and it says to people, that's the thing to focus on. Don't worry about trying to weigh up everything else. So mm. this is why you see things with no sugar, but they're loaded with fat. Yeah. Or yeah. things with no fat, but they're loaded with sugar. Because marketers and brands know people can't do all the calcs. Yeah. So we just give them a thing to hook onto. Yeah, and so what you're talking about is using this smartly in the sense that you can understand that when people are in this situation, they're gonna be they're gonna have to think of something that's gonna make their decision easier, right? And they might just automatically go, you know what, price. I'm just gonna just gonna just gonna go with the cheapest, right? If, Which if I imagine is what a lot of people yeah, well, if nothing would else, do. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're saying is that what you can do is actually you can prime them to have a specific thing that they focus on. It's like somebody, some, they're going to focus on something rather than letting them do it off their own bat, which could take me anywhere and I may not win yeah. in that sense. I'm going to be like, this is what you're focusing on. Yeah. This is what's important to but you right now. Probably one of my favourite sayings about advertising or thought bubbles about advertising is the idea that there is no such thing as a low interest category, mm. only low interest brands. So for those of you outside of advertising, a low interest category is a thing that people wouldn't spend much mental energy thinking about. So you might say that buying... Cottage cheese is a low-interest category. Mm-hmm. Who, who's going to think yeah, too much cares? about that? Yeah. But that only exists when there's low-interest brands because no brand has turned up and said, ah, we'll give you something to think about. And you see this all over the supermarket. Mm-hmm. You see the creation of whole categories like you know, sugar-free cola. Mm. Like all the colas were the same and then there's one that's sugar-free and it's like, oh, God, is that a thing that I meant to think about? Mm-hmm. Um, Free-range eggs, you know, which is a great thing, don't get me wrong, but was not a thing that people thought about as a decision criteria. Now we're starting to see meat and poultry with things like antibiotic free mm. it's like is that, what that's a thing yeah. is that a thing i need to think about well yeah. i guess if it is I, I need to pick the one that's antibiotic free and not worry about the other 15 attributes that i might make this decision based on yeah and it's like it that doesn't even have to be interesting like something being antibiotic free like i don't actually care it's just mm. something different yeah right? and anytime you're presented with something different your brain has to dedicate attention to understanding it to processing it yeah and, and it, it's a really great way a product calling itself something free mm. antibiotic free completely like throw shade on the rest of the category. Yeah. The rest of the category might also be antibiotic free. They just never thought to say it. So by one brand saying that's the thing that we're going to focus on and we're going to direct your attention, Mr. or Mrs. Consumer, at focusing on as well, Yeah. Um, makes you question what everyone else is doing and hopefully pick that product off the shelf. Yeah. Have you got any other examples for the marketing field? So uh, examples of this are basically any time that a brand gives you a new way to shop a category, a new way to think about a purchase decision. So supermarket, they're everywhere. But if you think about things like even the, the world of workouts, at the moment we're in the middle of this F45 explosion. F45 decided that of all of the different ways you could evaluate a workout, you know, mm-hmm. proportion of aerobic to anaerobic activity or where it happens or how it happens or how much fun it is or how mindful it is. Or how much weight you can lose How so much quickly, weight you can yeah. lose, yeah. Like their thing is 45 minutes. F45, they're like, focus on 45. The F might even be for focus. I don't know. Maybe it's for fitness. Maybe it's for fun. I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) the thing thing that is not ambiguous is that it's 45. Yeah. So they're saying, hey, people out there looking to buy into some sort of a fitness routine slash cult, right? (laughs) If 45 minutes is important for you, that's a thing that's important for us. Focus here. And then it makes you wonder, yeah, well, how long does Zumba take? How Mm. long does CrossFit take? Mm. I don't know. And maybe I don't have time for it, but I have 45 minutes. Definitely have 45 (laughs) minutes because that's less than an hour. Yeah. 
So that's what us ad guys do, but what can the poor consumer do? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, I see this in my line of work as well, right? You know, you talk, you talk about F45 being like a thing of the moment. Another big thing, literally, of the moment is the mm. whole mindfulness craze or phase yeah. or whatever you want to call yeah. it, right? And the whole idea of mindfulness is actually, you know, could be said to be based around the focusing illusion. Mm. The idea that mindfulness, for example, is a cure for anxiety, right? When people are anxious, they're, most of the time they're anxious about something that may or may not happen in mm. the future. Mindfulness works by directing people's attention to the present mm. with the understanding that you have a limited capacity to only attend to really one thing at a time. If you're attending to the present, it's actually impossible to be anxious, Right then, because anxiety is about projecting into the future and if you're focusing on what's happening here and now, then that is all that you can be and that is all that your brain has the capacity to think about. So um, mindfulness is a therapeutic method you know, we've got the focusing illusion coming into marketing, coming into psychology. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah it feels like we've kind of gone a long way around. But actually what we're saying is like in this whole crazy complicated landscape of things that you could spend your time and attention focusing on, Yeah. like sometimes a thing will just wave its hand and say, hey, look at me, look at me, look yeah. at me. And, and that's really all our brain is capable of doing. Yeah, and so the flip side of that for you to sort of counteract that is to realise that you can actually control the object of your attention. You can choose what you want to focus on at any given moment and that is going to be the most important thing to you at that time. Right. Well, that mm. sounds kind of profound. Do you like it? I like it. Cool. So there's something more profound. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was the, the Dr. Bell way of saying it, but um, Danny Kahneman said it differently. Danny? We're friends now. <laughs> <laughs> cool. DK? Yeah. What did he say? His quote when he was asked pretty much what's like the most important information that you could give or the most useful information that you could give to like a lay person, mm. he said, nothing is as important as you think it is while you were thinking about it. Nothing is as... uh, (laughs) That's not what he said. He said, nothing is as important as you think it is while you were thinking about it. So the thing you're thinking about right now is the most important thing that you think it is, but it's really not. It only is because you're thinking about it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It sounded more profound when he said it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've remixed it for a new generation. (laughs) And I think that's a really good way to sort of sum it up, right? When you're thinking about something, it is the most important thing. It's dominating your focus. And you know, when people say like, don't respond in the moment, Mm. take 24 hours and respond after, it's because you've got perspective and you've got a different context in which to see it afterwards and yeah. it doesn't seem as important 24 hours later as it does at the time that it happened. Always save your rage emails as drafts first. And if you still think it's a good idea to send it the next morning, go right ahead. There you go. Yeah, that's my <laughs> profound wisdom. Yep. So that's where we're at. I think we've covered the focusing illusion. Yep. We focused on it for long enough and we know oh. it has been the most important thing for the last 20-odd minutes of yeah. your lives as it has for ours. Yeah, I think we've also just explained how all magic works as well. So that's a pretty good pretty good episode. Yeah. All yeah. right. Tune in for more magic next time. Yeah. All right. Where do people <laughs> find us? They'll find us on the internet at Dr. Mel W. Oh, that's you. And they'll find me also on the internet at Dan Monheit. Search the internet. Yeah. Google can say, things. Can we say? I mean, it's going to timestamp, but can, can we say they're also going to find us at South by Southwest next year? Oh, my God. Yeah. Dan is so excited, yeah. guys. Mel and I are going to be presenting at South by Southwest, Austin, Texas, uh, March 2019. Come and see us in the flesh. Oh, so much magic. It's yeah. going to be so much magic. Got my cowboy boots ready. <laughs> Can't wait. Peace out.